0: Chapter Two. I don't know how far I'll get into this, but I'm probably fixing to share something with you, you hadn't hadn't heard before. Maybe, maybe you have. Anytime I do that, you sure better check me. Man, I, I just. I, <clears throat> Basically, I want to share with you some of the things that that I've been getting through my studies, and uh it's been good. I got five pages of notes tonight. I went through three this morning, so I probably won't cover everything tonight, because I want to kind of spend a little bit more time in applying it. <clears throat> when you look in Genesis chapter 2, we see life in, life in God's garden, and uh the plan that God has for us. I heard little Randall and... uh Brian talking about what it's going to be like, what we'll be like when we get to heaven, and what heaven's going to be like. And one of the things you see there are so many, um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to think of. Not comparisons, but, but what you see between the, the, what man does and what Jesus does to correct it, and then the outcome in the end. Uh, the summation of all things in Revelation, how you see the finished work of redemption and what we get out of that. It's a little, it's a little loud. Can we turn it down just a little bit? <clears throat> so we're doing a podcast? Okay. I'll probably preach more then. I do want people to hear this when they get the chance. I do want to share this with you. It's cool. I never know who listens to a podcast and who don't, but last Sunday, Steve. McCann texted me and said, we baptized a lady this Sunday who got saved listening to your podcast. I was like, yes, thank the Lord. <clears throat> that was good. Um, so when you look, picking up where we left off this morning, Genesis chapter 2, uh, talking about God's plan for us. Um, It said thus the heavens and the earth in verse 1 and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. And then in verse 4 is where we're going to start keying in. It says this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, <clears throat> for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. And there was no man, and notice what it says, no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man, or put the man whom he had formed. <clears throat> I believe there's a reason why God said formed instead of created, just, just in, in the meaning of that word, and we'll go over that in just a minute. And then it says, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow. Here's where I want you to pay attention, okay? I want you because this week you're probably going to study, and, and to make sure what I'm teaching is right, it would be good. Because anytime i I see something that's different or new that I hadn't necessarily seen before, I usually call two or three people and go, what do you think about this?" and what do you, you know can you think of any scripture that contradicts what I'm coming up with here and And I had to do that this week, so you want to pay close attention here. I'm not trying to teach anything it's not true, but it says, um, out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow. Notice what it says that is pleasant to the sight." Good for food. Now there's a division here of the trees. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pashon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havala where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Bedellium and the Onks Stone was there. Uh, the name of the second river is Gihon. Uh, it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is hadelka which is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is <clears throat> the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it, and the Lord commanded man, saying, of every, here's, go back to the trees. It's kind of where I'm going to hone in tonight. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat thereof you shall surely die. Now I'm going to stop right there. And we're going to kind of look at the principles tonight of the life God intends for us to live that sometimes sin robs us of, actually sin robs us of, but I believe Christ came and redeems us from the sin curse and we still have access uh, in Christ Jesus to live out the life that God gives for us to live. We won't experience the fullness of that until we're out of this old carnal body, but uh, so in that, one of the things I want to look at here, it starts off and says that God formed. That word, when I looked it up, means to squeeze into shape as a potter would, uh, his clay. And he was, noticed that, that man was the only thing that was very different than all the rest of creation because man was created in the image of God. When the Bible speaks of, <clears throat> in God's image, it refers to, and I'm going to kind of go quickly through this, but it refers to his nature in the fact of that we are three uh we have a, a a spirit a soul and a body okay and god is three in one uh god the father god the son god the holy spirit in god's character we have the, we we were we were created Remember, I'm speaking prior to the fall here. We were created to have the character of Christ. We were a perfect reflection of the character of God, or Adam was. God created us in his image and intellect, very different from all the animals in logical thinking and communication. There are several things there uh, in relating to one another, relationships. God created us in his image in that very different capability to show love and mercy and kindness and those things that... Um, you see different from everything else, but but at this point in time, Adam was uh, a reflection of God. He was created in the image of God so that when people would, other people who would come along after him would see him and in themselves, he would continue to, this I'm going to teach myself as I go, he would continue to pass down. Uh, that image or that likeness of God, the traits of God, uh, it's a good thing as parents that we take note of that. God, uh, wants us to continue to pass down His traits, His characters, and to teach them to our children and demonstrate them to our kids. But, but, but because of the sin fall, okay, the image of God, sin perverted, uh, our image of God, of, of what we, uh, projected to be the image of God, all of a sudden now we're sending out a false message because we're nothing like God in a sinful nature. Apart from Christ Jesus, the lost man is totally depraved and he is nothing uh, like God. He still has some of, of as far a few uh, traits and things like that. but But now we become idolatrous in the fact of we become a false image of who God is. One of the cool things I thought about that was that God begins off creating man in the likeness of God... And when man fell, it talks about in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 7 that Jesus humbled himself, not thinking it, uh, robbery to be in the form of God, but came in the likeness of man. Why did he come in the likeness of man? To save us and turn us back into the likeness of God. And so in that, I'm going to give you some things, you know, tonight that you can kind of search out, give you some things to study out, go a little deeper than, than what we normally go. But, but when God, before God plants us, and we're going to kind of focus heavy on your garden, okay? I believe God gives each one of us a garden or a life that he has for us, a plan individually. Uh, God has a plan for us, for your families, whether that plan involves how you live, where you live, the ministry he wants you to involve you in, the gifts he gives you. And prior to that life, before you experience that life, God forms us. Most of us don't like the forming because, Calvin, I need to talk to you after church. I just I wanted to say that before because I just didn't catch you before church. It's a good thing, all right? But uh, but but God forms us, and you'll notice here that the other things that he created, he pretty much spoke it and brought it forth, but with man, it was a hands-on forming. With man, it's still a hands-on forming. God has a very personal way of molding us into the person that he desires for us to be, and the best thing that we can do Is simply be yielded to that That we surrender to the Lord That we trust God in in the things he comes about Because you know Some of the things that You know the Bible talks about We we like to quote the scripture My God shall supply all my needs According to his riches and glory Most of the time we think of needs We always want to gear it towards monetary needs There's a lot of things that we need that we're not going to ask for, that God knows we need, and he's going to give it to us because we need it. How many of you ever uh, pray that you'd be attacked by a bear or a lion? I don't think any of us have prayed that. David needed that, and God gave him what he needed. Why? To prepare him for the giant. And so there's things in our life that God prepares us for, and he brings those needs into us. We don't think it's a need. We wonder why we're going through that, but but if you'll just, like I said, if you'll rest in the Lord and trust in God that he's good, his intentions for you is good, even the times of trials, like he talks about in James, count it all a joy when you fall into different trials, because God's molding and he's forming your life. And he, and, and he has to do that in every area of your life. He has to do it for, for being a parent. God has to do it for being a husband or a wife. God has to do it for being a servant in ministry, however it is. There's all different ways and, and, and facets and is that how you say that? Facets of our life where God does different things. God uses people, God uses situations, God uses His word, He uses circumstances. In order to mold us into that person, think about the life of Joseph. When you look at Joseph, I mean, what happened to Joseph? He was sold into slavery. Uh, he ended up being in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife came on to him and, and lied about him. He ended up in the prison. Uh, God molded him there. He ended up from going to the prison and staying there. I believe it was a, a very long period of time there that he stayed in the, in the prison for something that he was innocent of. And then God brought him out of the prison and set him as second in command over the whole Egyptian empire. Now think about this. Those are the things that God had to do to mold him, to mold humility in his life, to show God, uh, develop a relationship, a trust in God and God's plan for his life. Because the Bible says God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. So for God to explain or try to explain to us what he's doing, we wouldn't get it. It would be like you trying to explain to your three-year-old some of the things that you do with him and why you do it. They don't have the ability to understand your ways. We don't have a lot of times to understand why God does things the way he does, but I just know this, God's good, and God's in control, and the best thing for me to do is to surrender so that he can form me. And think about this, as he's forming you, he wants to place you into that place where he wants to use you, where he wants you to work, and where he wants you to tend And so God's preparing this. He moved man and placed him into the garden. So you look at your life and you go, number one, I know that as a child of God, that God's molded me and God's making me, and so I'm going to be yielded to the Lord. I'm going to continue to humble my heart before God, not to fire prideful questions at heaven, but I'm just going to walk with Him. And whatever comes about my life, I'm going to take you that God's using that as preparation because He has a garden for me. And at the point in time, God's perfect timing, He places that, or places me in that. Some people want to get ahead of God because they see what they desire as a garden. God's like, that's not the life I had for you. You know, my life has made several turns that I never intended on, never would have thought about. And as I look back, I can see how God's hand molded us in a lot of different ways and brought us to the place. In his timing, he placed Adam in the garden where he was already prepared. So you have divine direction in your life. And think about this in the, with a garden, and you'll get a picture of kind of what the new earth is going to be. Uh, where we're going to dwell. I think it was a plush garden. It was a very green, beautiful. I'm, I, I'm very ornate. I know, telling what uh, it would have looked like because it's very different then than it is now. But very fruitful, fertile, peaceful, plentiful, glorious. That's the kind of life that God desires for us. And this is the way that God designed it. And so we went over this morning how everything that God has for you is good. It's going to cause you to look to him, to glorify him, to trust him. Okay, he's revealing himself to you in a lot of different ways through all of this. But when he brought Adam to the garden, notice that it says in verse 15, that the Lord God took man, he put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To tend and to keep And I touched on that this morning. But I want to put in some, some, uh, application tonight. Man, man was there in this sense to, to work it. Those two words mean to work it and to garden, uh, or to guard it. I want to touch on that with, with your with your marriage and your family. Not only that, you can look at this in the sense of applying it to your marriage and family. You can apply it to church. You can apply it to ministry. You can apply it to your you know your job, whatever it is. But, but when we look at marriage, because we tend to deal with that a lot, marriage and family. And when you look at this, <clears throat> Adam was to to till it, to work the ground. Uh, to stir it. You know, there's a lot of things in your marriage that you need to stir up. There's some things you don't need to stir up. But there are other things, you know, the Bible talks about stirring up love, okay? You need to stir up love. You need to stir up certain things in your marriage. And, and it was there to plant. With our kids, we need to be sowing seed of love and of truth and of guidance, wisdom within their hearts. We need to prune. Adam pruned and, and we need to prune away things from our, from our relationships, from our families, from our home that doesn't need to be be there in order that it brings more fruit in order that you get rid of the things that can bring in uh, disease basically and then there would be a harvest there but in the garden man would work and he would walk with God and we talked about that as a picture of, uh, uh, of our, of our walk of faith with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and I just want to encourage you now this is a little bit off of my message but in your marriage, because we we've talked already to a couple of people today, and it really seems like the devil is coming against people's marriages right now. I know he always is, but we we, we crazy it is. We just have seasons. Willie and I were talking about how sometimes you know, a, a, as a pastor, you'll go through a little bit of time there, like you don't talk to a lot of people, not a lot of stuff to do, and and I'll start praying on oh, God. I want you to use me. I want to be used by you. And, and honestly, in this last. Oh, two weeks. It's been almost an every, every day thing with us of meeting with people and trying to, uh, to work through some issues and work through it. So it seems like a season where the devil is, is, uh, running rampant on families and marriages in our church. And so I wanted to encourage you that tonight that, especially if you've been married for a while, you've got to continue to work in your garden. You've got to guard it. You understand what I'm saying? God said, I want you to work it and I want you to guard it. There are things that you have to continue to do to, to cause your marriage to flourish and to grow. You should never come to a place where you're relaxed. You think that you're above, you know, your marriage falling apart. Not that you have to be divorced, but you can be spiritually divorced. You know, you can be two different people living for two different plans, but living in the same home, just existing. And you should never, you should never be able to look back and go, I remember a time when it was good. You know, faith doesn't look back. Faith looks at the present. Faith looks forward to go, it's good now. And it's going to get better because we're going to continue to work, continue to grow in love. And it's work. You know, so many times what we want to do is we want it to be good at first, and the next thing you know, what happens is we get our attention on other things. We 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 um invest our time and our efforts in other things that we like we said this morning, think you're gonna live. And the next thing you know, you look up and your garden has turned into uh what you see in Proverb. I want to read real quick in Proverbs twenty four. You sit where you're at or you can turn there. But but I see a lot of, of families who For years, it was good, and then all of a sudden, just, it's like a surprise. You know those people where you go, I never would have thought that that would have happened to them. Never thought that they'd have fell apart. Never thought there'd have been a divorce. Never thought their kids would have just went out and left field, you know. And we take it just because we're in church. And really talk to the men because it's up to you uh, to be the leader of that. And and ladies, you respond to that and you come along as his help meet, okay. But, but men are called and required of God to lead your families and to work and to guard your family and to guard your marriage. But in uh, Proverbs twenty four thirty, it says... I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. You see, it was still there. A lot of times it's like our faith. Your faith is also gone not just your family or marriage. You look at your faith and you go, you know, that's something that you have to cultivate. Something that you work. Something we should constantly grow in because we can become stale in any area of our life. And we can take it for granted that just because it is, that it always will be. And that's not true. I mean, when you get lazy, all of a sudden, not that it's gone, but it's covered up by the world. It says, and there it was, overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall, the stone wall was to keep things out that shouldn't be in there. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw and I considered it well, I looked on it and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little, not a lot. A little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need shall be like an armed man. I won't call out a name because I'm on podcast and don't like to, you, but there's a couple here who we've seen God do amazing things in their life. Okay. Now they can kick it into, into coast. They can say it's good. You know, it's, it's way better than it used to be and it's great and God's done something awesome, but I guarantee you this if he gets lazy, and she follows that. It won't be long that it'll be covered up by the world, and it'll be looking like something that God never intended to look like. There's something under the surface there, but you need to watch, and you need to maintain your wall. You need to keep your guard up because you always have a snake trying to come into your garden in any and area, any and every area of your of your life, and and to get you off of God's plan. And, and so that's what I want to kind of lead into before I get into this. This is the, this is a really good part because God not only placed man, He formed man. He placed man. He gave man everything that He needed there. He he created a wife and gave that man a a help meet and that we hadn't read that yet. But I want you to focus in on here because God gives Adam a warning. Men, God give Adam the warning. He wasn't giving the warning to Eve. How did Eve find out about it? Adam led as he should for a little bit. And he conveyed the message to his wife and he warned her. But obviously Adam got lazy and he let his guard down because the next thing you know, she's talking to the serpent. She's talking to the devil and she's listening and she's considering. But look at the, Look at, notice what it says here in, uh, in verse, uh, let me find this Bible's hard verse 15. It says, or 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You notice he separates that. He separates the tree, every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't take of that tree. That's not my plan for you. This is where it gets kind of, you wondering, okay? I prayed about this, thought about it for years. i thought, Lord, why did you place that tree there? And I've heard the different, oh, God wanted to give man an option. And God wanted man a free will. I totally, I, since I've studied this, I totally disagree with that. I believe this is the devil's tree. I believe Satan is the one who planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you look back in Matthew chapter 13 and you see the parable there of the wheat and the tares, God planted the wheat. The wheat represents God's people. And it says at nighttime, time, while people slept, the enemy came in and he planted tares. The tare looks just like a wheat. Except for when you check it later on, it doesn't produce any fruit. It's a, it is a counterfeit wheat. When you look at this tree here, it also talks about in the book of James, God cannot be tempted by man, neither does he tempt. This is a temptation. Satan comes along, and, and under God's sovereignty, understand that, God's in control, but God allows him to plant a tree, and if you notice, he plants the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is a tree that's totally against God's character, it produces death, God's all about life, and man does have free will, man does have a choice, and he allowed that, but you notice, Satan planted it right next to the tree of life. Satan has a, he always has a plan because he desired to be God. He desired to be greater than God. And he'll always have a plan that counterfeits God. It looks and appears. And notice he appeals to the physical eyes, not the spiritual eyes. God's word appeals to the spiritual man. Satan comes along and says, I'm going to appeal to the fleshly man. And the roots of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's three roots on it. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So three things that he appealed to Adam and Eve here. The same three things he tempted Jesus and appealed to him there. And the Lord didn't say that he planted that tree. If you'll continue to notice later in Revelation chapter 22 verse 2. When you see the end... In the summation of all things, a new heaven and a new earth, you see the garden of God, and it said out of the throne there's a river that flows, and on either side of the river there's the tree of life. There is no tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's not there anymore. And it's because the Lord dealt with that. We'll cover that in just a second. But this tree here, God's saying, this is not my plan for you. I'm allowing you to choose. You can choose, just like he talked about in Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 30. The Lord said, today I set before you, how to go, life, blessing, cursing, and death. Or blessing and life, cursing and death. And then he said, choose life. You have the same thing here. He said, I'm going to let you choose which direction you want to go. God has a perfect plan for your life. A life where he's already prepared for. A life he's already predestined for. We're not getting that real heavy tonight. But man absolutely has a free will. A free choice. God sets it before him. And you can choose one or the other. But God always gives us a warning to go, don't go that way. Because I'm going to tell you already. That if you choose that route, the fruit of that tree is death. Okay? Y'all with me? Some of y'all going, going, oh, I hope it provokes you to study and to dig. But... Think about this. God's telling Adam, this is not my tree. This is not my plan. Of all these other trees I plan, I have a whole... God, notice this, God has a whole lot more. Okay? God gives it freely, no strings attached. And then He gives a warning. He says, don't partake of that tree because it's a counterfeit and it's not going to produce what the owner of, of that tree is going to tell you it's going to produce. And then all of a sudden... He he brings the woman and we'll we won't cover that tonight. I'll probably do that next Sunday morning over marriage. But he brings he brings the woman to Adam. She's his helpmate. What she's his what she is a helper for ladies, you're you're your husband's help me for all kinds of things, but I think one of the key things is to work and to guard. And to watch. Because sometimes men let their guards down. Right? We're not watching. The woman's not supposed to come along and nag the man. She's supposed to come along and encourage and edify and to watch with him. Because the Bible says in verse 1, chapter 3, the serpent, which was Satan, was more cunning. Notice what it says. More cunning, more subtle, more deceitful than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Okay? And he said to the woman, Here's, here's the serpent speaking to the woman. And you'll notice all of a sudden the serpent plants his own seed. What seeds does he plant? He says, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Number one, God didn't say that. God didn't say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. God said you can eat freely of every tree of the garden. Don't eat of this tree. Don't eat of his tree. Don't take of the tree of death. And so he sows a seed of doubt. Okay. Then all of a sudden he sows the seed of lies because he's the father of lies. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree of the that's which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She kind of twisted the scripture. The Lord didn't say don't touch it. He said don't partake of it. Don't eat it. Then the serpent said to the woman, here comes the lie. You will not die. You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open. Yes, your fleshly eyes will be open, And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now think about this, because he lets his... Go- I don't know where Adam was, but he obviously wasn't at this place in point in time. Or he just let his wife have a conversation with a the snake. There's a lot of good stuff in marriage that I'm... Touch on, it, probably get me in jail, and just say what well, I'm going to say. What I'm going to say, okay? But it, but, but here's the problem with temptation. Number one, where she went wrong, she got too close. She got too close to the serpent. She got too close to the tree. And sometimes we get so prideful and so arrogant and thinking we're so above falling that we'll we'll rub elbows with darkness and sin. <laughs> We think we got the devil beat and there's no way he can cause me to stumble and we get too close. You need to build a wall and stay away from it. Okay? The next thing you know, she's listening to it. This is basically the steps of adultery. Not only she, but he, I'm not just saying she, but she's listening to what he has to say. Don't talk to him. Don't listen to him. And, and here's where I probably get in trouble. This is just, this is not Bible. This is Randall's opinion. Adam had dominion. God gave him authority. He should have crushed the head of the snake. You read into that whatever you want to. But here's where I'm at. When a snake comes around my house, I'm going to do my best to crush the head of the snake. I'm going to put a stop to it. And a lot of things can be done when you put a stop to it. But the problem was, they listened to it. Then she entertained the thought. She began to consider what he said. There's so many people today that when Satan tempts them, rather than, you know, they they talked about it the other last week, where I believe it was 95%. 95% of men in and out of the church are involved in internet pornography. 80% of women. Some people don't need access. You sure nobody needs access without accountability. Nobody. Parents, you should not, you can disagree with me and get mad at me, whatever, you should not let your kids have access, free access to internet. Especially without accountability. You have every right to investigate and hold your kids accountable and say, I want to see the history, and there better not be nothing erased off of it. And if I find one thing where the snake been up in my house, we're out of here. Oh, but mom, dad, I look like a nerd. Well, nerd, you should have you should have kept control of all I can tell you. I don't care what you look like. My concern is where you stand, not what you appear to other people. And, you know, you can agree or disagree with that. But I'm telling you right now, don't you ever get to the point where you think, my kids won't do that, my kids are above it, or I won't follow that, or I'm above it. Nobody is above it. And we need to stay away from those things. Not just that, but there's a lot of things in our life you can't toy with temptation. Next thing you know, after she considered it, what happened? She conceived. And all of a sudden, sin brought forth death. Now, here's where this gets interesting. When you look at the wording there, the knowledge of good and evil. You know, I studied this, this thing, and think, Lord, I see, I'm seeing stuff. There's more to this than what, what you know, I've learned in the past. The knowledge of good and evil. You know, the Bible talks about knowledge puffs up; it produces pride. Also, talks about that there's a worldly wisdom, sensual, that's not from God. But, but, but when you look at the word knowledge, you know. To know in the Bible means more than what we uh, in English talk about to know. For instance, Adam knew his wife and she conceived. It's talking about a relationship. The word knowledge means to have an intimate relationship. And so what takes place here is they partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what actually took place here is... They entered into a relationship with sin. They became one with sin. Adam and Eve divorced God at this point. This is spiritual adultery. Ain't that... I'm not saying that's cool, but ain't... Y'all with me on this? It gets even better. Here's the thing. Man committed spiritual adultery and divorced God in his own heart and entered into a relationship with sin the offspring of that sin would be what john the baptist referred to in matthew chapter 3 and verse 10 where he said the axe is laid at the roots and any tree that brings forth evil will be cut down and placed into the fire the roots of those trees those trees he's talking about are the trees the offspring of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil people who are have in a relationship to sin not to god you got to stay with me because it's going to make sense. But here's the thing. Here's what's awesome. God did not divorce mankind. In the Bible, it was up to the man to give the writ of divorcement, not the woman. Okay? God never gave a writ of divorcement. God pursued his bride who was unfaithful. This is, this really blowed my mind the more I studied it. And there's a whole lot more to it than what I'm going to give you tonight. But you think about this. When you look at the book of Hosea, the book of Hosea is the story of a prophet that God said, "Go and take a wife of whoredoms." And he, and and, and, and think about this. I believe that that uh, what was her name? As a Gomer, yeah. I've never had to stand at a wedding. go now I want to present to you, uh, Mister So and So, and Gomer, whatever. I Man, I mean, that'd be that'd be something. If your name is Gomer, don't tell me because I'm going to make fun of you and anyhow. <laughs> He marries this wife, uh, uh, a whoredom. uh, I'm not being ugly when I say it, but but a whore named Gomer. I believe she had children prior to the marriage, okay? And then they have children. And then she lives up to her nature. She leaves Hosea and she goes out being a harlot among men. And God didn't say, now divorce her. What did God say? Remember, she ends up in slavery after she's all used up. Okay, they, the her, her, the men sold her in slavery, and God told Hosea, "Now you take your money and you go buy your wife back." And Hosea goes and he buys his wife back. She was not ever divorced. He God didn't say give her rid of divorcement, but he said, "I want you to go and I want you to show the same kind of love to her that I'm showing to you and to Israel." It's an, that is amazing to me, of the love and the mercy that God demonstrates here to go, I don't, I don't divorce, I pursue. I show mercy, I show grace, I forgive. Now you think about this, because this is confusing, get really good. This would have been a good Sunday morning message, but most people wouldn't get it. The fruit of the tree, what was the fruit of the tree? Of the knowledge of good and evil when they ate of it. Remember, all of a sudden, the first thing they noticed was what? They were naked. That means that they had no covering. A God of justice was coming. He always came. He walked with them in the evenings, in the cool of the evening. And all of a sudden they know God who is holy. Above all, Adam and Eve understood how holy God was. And here He comes and we're naked. We have no covering before God. It means God sees right through our sins and we know what God's going to do because He already warned us. They start trying to sew fig leaves together and all that kind of stuff. God comes along and God speaks to them. Here's Here's the fruit of your... Of your tree. This is the outcome of you partaking of what the devil's plan is. The world's way. Number one, they noticed that they were naked. I'll just read these for you real quick. Number two was sorrow and pain and suffering and childbirth. Number three, the, bread, the ground would bring forth thorns and thistles. By the sweat of his brow he would eat his bread. This was horrendous work. There is good work. Man worked prior to the fall. When you go out and you set up a deer feeder and you haul corn in and you hang a stand up, you sweat, you stink, and you're happy. That's good work. You know what I'm saying? Some of you ladies work in your yard and you enjoy doing your flowers and and your plants, and you can you can sweat and stink, and you're, at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I enjoyed that. That's good work. Cursed work is getting up in the morning and going to paint a house. It's cursed and it's wretched. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so there was a difference there. By the sweat of his face, he would struggle and he would always be fighting. All of a sudden now, what brought him pleasure, think about this, what brought him pleasure, fulfillment, peace, all of a sudden was warring against him. Let your yard go for a couple of weeks. What happens? You're after warring against it, working by the sweat of your face going, should have mowed it last week. That's the sin curse. You can thank Adam for that. Another thing was spiritual death. The Lord said, in the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. They died that day. They were separated from God, dead in their sins. The spiritual man, the breath of God that he breathed in them ceased to exist. And then they died physically in time to come. And so you got the nakedness, the sorrow and suffering, and childbirth, thorns and thistles, the sweat of the face, the spiritual death, the physical death. But then, for the last thing I want you to get tonight is the redemption of the bride. Look in Isaiah 61. God rose to the occasion for his wife. He was willing to fight for his bride. He was willing to fight for his children and for his people. He was willing to sacrifice and pay the ultimate price for our choice to sin against him. It's an amazing thing. You should always pursue. Isaiah 61, notice this is directly attached. Later, Jesus quoted this in Luke chapter 4. And he said, I'm the one who fulfills this. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings or good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. Lotus says to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy, joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaven he said i'm fixed to undo everything sin has done to those who'll trust me and then notice what it says in the last part of verse three that they may be called trees of righteousness the planning of the lord that he may be glorified god said you're going to be my offspring are y'all with me on this this is probably better teaching than preaching, but I just want you to get it Notice also the Bible says in Israel I'm going to give you a lot in just a little bit because I'm out of time But the Bible also said Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree So what is a cross? What, was, what exactly was the cross? It was a tree the Bible clearly def- defines it wasn't just something man built But it was a tree They nailed Jesus to a tree it wasn't just a tree, it was that tree. Jesus was nailed to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus was nailed to the tree of death. He was nailed to the devil's tree and he became the curse. He became sin who knew no sin. Think about this, okay? When Jesus was on the tree, where was his clothes? They were, ga- they were gambling for him. He hung there naked in our shame with no covering. What was on his head? Thorns and thistles. In suffering and sorrow, he brings forth his children. Through the suffering of the cross, we're born again because he bought our sin or paid for our sin debt. What did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was spiritually separated from his father. First time in all eternity. What did he do in the garden as he prayed for us in the garden of Gethsemane? He sweated as if drops of blood. And then lastly, he said, it is finished, and he said unto you, I commit my spirit, and he physically died. Everything that you see, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jesus took upon himself because he loved us, pursuing his people to redeem his, his what we call in the imagery, his bride. Buried it and rose again. Christ became the curse, uprooted the devil's tree, and turned ashes into beauty. And then when you look in Revelation 22, and I told you already, but I'm going to read this and we'll we'll, we'll close with this. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 2, because what God's doing is, he's undoing everything the devil did. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And he's came to restore all things. So what is heaven gonna be like? That's why I say, if you wanna know what heaven's gonna be like, look at what the garden was prior to the fall. God's always had a plan. His plan has been good for us. His plan is for us to have life, to walk in perfect fellowship with Him, to eat of the fruit of His goodness, and to, and to live a life that He's designed for us to live. Sin is what robs us of that. God's not the enemy. God's not the one to think about. It. That's why I hate Teaching of calvinism because it totally destroys the nature of god because if you accept calvinism in a belief system you have to say there's no going around it most of them will uh, admit it but what they're saying is god is the author of sin and evil no he's not god is light and in him there is no darkness God did not create man and said, my plan is for you not to partake of the tree, but I've already predestined you to partake of the tree. Makes no sense. It's absolute stupidity and foolishness. And so in that, God's plan for us is to have life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you have it more abundantly. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to be his presence. He wants to shower his glory on us. He wants it to be good, not just there, but here. We're just preparing. He just forming us now to bring us into his presence there. And when he's finished with us there, he'll plant us where he got us up there. You know what happened with Miss Pam? God molded her. God formed her. God was finished with her here. And now he's planted her there. She is, she is in the presence of God. That's what death is. That's why we can say that's awesome. I mean, I miss the people here, but you know what? Sooner or later, I'm going to be there. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward. That's why, as a believer, you can go. You mean to tell me that Jesus did everything that needed to be done, and all I got to do is just rest in the Lord, just love Him back. That's what. That's exactly what He says. I just want you to love me back. I moved everything out of the way that was between me and you, so we can just love each other. So we can walk again and talk in the garden. So we can spend all eternity together. I can look forward to that. I don't look forward to a, a misty foggy darkness. Where I wonder if I know the people that's floating around beside me playing their harp. That's stupid. That's what Hollywood has projected. That's what, what, what our culture has perverted heaven to be. You don't look forward to that. That's ridiculous. But you look forward to this. And it says in Revelation chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Clear as a crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each their yielding, each fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay? This is the time where you're going to see, uh, I believe this is great, men from wrong, this is the new heaven and new earth, because it talks about in chapter 21, When all the judgment was over, he said, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Okay? Where are you going to dwell for all eternity? New heaven, new earth. A creation that has been bought back, redeemed, restored. All of the things of of this world melted away in fervent heat. And God brings us back to where we need to be. Okay. And because of what Jesus has done, we have access there to the holy city. You know, and I realize that the Bible teaches of the new city, of Jerusalem, having twelve pearly gates and, and this and that. And people are like, well, I'll stand before the, it just kind of bothers me when people talk about even believers. Yeah, I can't wait to get those pearly gates. And this and I'm thinking heaven's more than that. don't, don't, don't let the culture influence you on how you see heaven. Heaven's going to be a paradise. It's going to be amazing. You're going to walk in a physical body. Am I going to know everybody? Yeah, you're going to know everybody even better. You're going to know everybody even better. We don't have anything to hide or any secrets. You're going to have perfect knowledge of who you were. You're going to have some memory to a point of what you did. How will you stand before the Lord if you don't remember anything and go, for you are the one who redeemed us by your blood? How can you worship if you don't know what you're worshiping about? You're going to have perfect knowledge apart from the darkness of sin. It's going to be amazing. There's going to be no tree of knowledge. There's going to be no devil. There's going to be no fruits of sin. There's going to be no darkness. You're going to be able to go from one place to the other without having to carry three pistols in your pocket, wondering if you're going to have to shoot folk on the way. It's going to be good. You know, I'm be honest with you. You say, "Well, I don't think you got to have fear." There's a, there's a lot of things I would like to go do. I watched some some uh, I watched that primos big game hunting video. Of the, this evening where they were up in Canada and they were hunting this and that. I thought, man, I'd like to go do that. Not that I could afford it, but that's not the main reason I don't go. I don't care nothing about being on an airplane. I don't care nothing about traveling in big cities and being around a bunch of fruitcakes. That's just, you know, maybe you can do it and you're good. That's just, that's just my hindrance. I go, you know, there's going to be one of these days, I'll go wherever I want to do, do whatever I want to do, whatever time of the day I want to do it. And I won't have to worry about nothing. Whatever I won't ever have to even consider it because there will be no darkness, no wickedness, no evil, no nothing. And it's going to be good. And so I encourage you, you know, to take God's word and to study it. Honestly, I've been I've been studying God's word most of my life, but especially for the last 20 years. And this is honestly the first time that I saw this in this way. And it made so much sense because I always thought, Lord, why didn't you just create a garden that was perfect and not put that tree there? And I know God has a plan and he had his purpose. But the Lord's like, I'm not the one who put that tree there. I allowed it. And I gave you every route around it. But man and his his curiosity and his desire went right to it. That's right. And you know what? We can blame Adam and we can point to them and go, man, you messed up. But if it wasn't Adam and it got to me, I'd have probably done the same thing. Right. There's so many times in my life where I get too close. And I listen and I consider and I partake and I conceive. But I get the results of that. I just encourage you that that you... That you keep your eyes on Jesus and know that he's good. That the plan he has for your life is good. You're going to go through troubles and trials and struggle. He's going to bring you through it. You're going to be better for it. He's molding your life. He's preparing and there's going to be good on the other side. Don't give up and walk away. And keep your guard up. It's a terrible thing. And and I won't, I'm, I'm going to stop with this. But two or three people that we, we've talked to in the last little bit. With their marriage. People who were at one point in time faithful. Involved. Serving. Teaching. An example in our church. Who slowly let their guard down. Begin to fall off. Identify with the wrong crowd. Get involved in the wrong things. Get too close to things they shouldn't get close to. It's okay to drink as long as you don't get drunk. Get that junk away from me. That's where I'm at. You do whatever you want, try to justify it, keep the junk away from me. I think it's wicked. And the fruits of it are wicked. think it's okay you be around this crowd as long as you're being an influence of light. You just be sure you're being an influence and not being influenced. Because these, these different ones that we're dealing with now, they were influenced. They weren't being the influence. And they compromised. And right now, to see people who are broken... And begging God, please, God, give me another chance in my marriage. I go, man, how did this happen? And they all give you the same answer. I don't know. I don't know. I know you let your guard down. You quit working it. You quit fellowshipping with God. You thought you were above it. You thought you were in control. And you took sovereignty in your own hands. And the devil went, I got you. Come over here and take a look at my tree. And the next thing you know, we're camped out under it. And we wonder what happens. You know, what happened when we get the fruits of it? There's no exception to God's plan. No exception to God's rule. I'm just thankful that at times where I've came to that tree, the Lord comes along and goes, I, I redeemed you. That tree is done in your life. It has no power anymore. And I've bought you back. God's plan is good. Stay on God's plan. When you stand on your head, bowed and your eyes closed,